0: This, leaven, 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 leaven. this is laughing, 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 laughing. This is the hervegan them. Two outlaws on the lamb, taking the back roads through America. You
1: can't drink enough coffee for this show. And now it's time for Monday Madness with the Moped Outlaws, Greg and Mark.
0: And here we are, episode sixty.
1: Okay, so you know what's iconic about this episode? I just turned sixty two days ago.
0: Really? Yeah. How did I not know that I was we went to the concert? Oh, I see. No, I get it. I get it. I get what's happening here.
1: So episode sixty. How and, two days
0: after your 60th um, birthday.
1: Yeah, and I'm sixty. Yeah.
0: Wow. Happy birthday, Greg. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll tell you off air a little bit about that.
1: Okay. About oh, turning hey. 60.
0: <laughs> no, I don't know about turning 60 just yet. You're going to go through that portal ahead of me. willing, right. and the creek don't
1: rise. So wait, last week you said something that we were supposed to remember about misappropriation, and I forget what it was. Well. At the beginning of the episode.
0: Yeah, we were talking about um Music and we decided. Well, we were going to save, um, yeah, well, that I part see. of the conversation for this episode, which is this idea that, you know, all of white music oh, is uh, a derivative of <laughs> African music, and there's several ways to look at this, right? This this kind of idea. One of the things I love that that's <laughs> He's dumping water on his head, but it's not working. um They should have confiscated that water bottle from you if, anyway um in santana one of Santana's latest records called Africa Speaks, he pays homage to all of the African rhythms and the the sounds of of African style music because even he knows that the roots of music go all the way back to the roots of civilization. And so, you know, even after, I don't know, man, how many albums Santana's released a lot, he's like, okay, I've got to do this one called Africa speaks. And he's got African vocalists and, you know, the styles are are multiple time signatures and different modalities of, of musicality and all of these things. And so we were discussing like, okay, how are we going to do, Address this subject of the, the derivative nature of um, rock and roll in partic- particular and jazz. And then the subject of Elvis came up and was Elvis a racist or was Elvis a bigot? And that's sort of the jumping off point for this. Um, and I think it's an interesting discussion. And I'm not sure Greg and I see eye to eye on this or ear to ear as the case may be. But yeah. We're going to
1: find out. Yeah. So, um, was Elvis a bigot? (laughs) No, the answer is no. And so we're done. Okay. Short episode. I'm old. I don't have the energy to do long episodes now. I am watching Mark massage his bare scalp. What a God damn what you know when art doesn't show up fucking things fall apart quickly we have no idea what we were supposed to remember so what were you saying about Elvis he was not a bigot and here's what drives me a little nuts is uh,
0: are you saying Elvis had little nuts
1: I'm saying Elvis had no nuts at all and that's why he, sang, he didn't sing in a high voice. He had a very low voice, a very low voice. I have not seen anyone who interacted with him say he was a bigot. And as far as appropriation of music, now I do think that one Led Zeppelin song is absolutely stealing. Like they just stole the song and they have songwriting credits on that song. But, and I forget the song it is, but as far as appropriating, like, black music, white music, Native American music, suck my dick music, okay? Because music is music, man. Like, you just get influenced by anything you hear. I'd be a damn fool if I didn't see a fire show of um John Lee Hooker. And not think to myself, fuck, man, I want to put that kind of fire into what I'm creating.
0: Well, you can look at 60s rock and roll and just read the biographies of the Rolling Stones and various other people, the Paul Putterfield blues band. And you just they all just openly admit that the way they got to their musical education was by listening to black blues records and soul records from
1: chess and those things.
0: And so the idea that it wasn't appropriated music is just full of shit. That course it was, it was absolutely uh, appropriated music and they took that form and they made it the thing that they do without asking permission or, you know, they just decided, okay, this is, we're just going to copy this stuff. And, you know, you, one person could say that, you know, a lot of that music is copying itself in terms of the simplicity of the form or whatever. And the, But the reality is it, the history of black art. And I'm just going to say right now that I am not even close to qualified to really critique black art on any level in terms of my um, educational background and, and the, what I've studied. But I can see from my vantage point of white privilege that jazz music it came literally and i wrote a paper about this in in high school it came literally out of the slave fields into the churches and it was an answer to the repressive forces and the pent up energy that went into the spiritualism of gospel music and then and jazz music was a direct creative expression of brilliance from repressed African peoples. And so the atonality and rhythmic structures of jazz are a direct reflection of the lack of European limitations of, of the whole idea of the, the eight note scale. And that that was the only form of music that could be beautiful. And when you start to break down, I mean, jazz is traditionally quote, an American born art form. And, but it was born from the oppression of African peoples and particularly in the South and in new Orleans. And that music has a level of sophistication, complexity, and beauty that is way beyond the invention of anything since. And it came from black people and, and then other peoples, other types of, of ethnic groups, started to learn the language of jazz and express themselves and and it still doesn't come close in terms of its depth, complexity and beauty to you know the true originators are and even that,
1: No, that's not true. Look and here's the thing, I think any musician they don't have color involved. They just hang out with each other. Oh, my God. Every time we rebuttal, you're going to rub your scalp. <laughs> hey, Uncle Fester. <laughs> Uncle Fester, debating with Uncle Fester. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, that's the thing. I think when cr- creative people hang out, they just hang out, and they, they – love the creativity and interaction they're having with each other. That Dave Chappelle podcast I referred to last episode, um, he and um, I forget the guy's name from Wu-Tang. Anyway, they're talking about when Dave did a show at Punchline and Robin Williams showed up. And then the three of them were on stage. And Dave, and,
0: uh, Robin Williams, and who was the third guy?
1: The guy from Wu-Tang. And I forget his name. And part of what happened is the guy from Wu-Tang and Robin started doing this rap hip hop thing back and forth with each other. And I forget what it's called. Anyway, like they, and, and to hear Dave and this gentleman from Wu-Tang talk about Robin was with such, um, admiration for the creativity and love of this individual and that's what creativity is it's love and love gives it spreads out it doesn't hoard itself oh i only belong in this box no, fuck you, okay? That, I get angry, yeah, I get angry. I have my own shempa in regards to this, I reckon. Well,
0: and uh, and I just want to say that, uh, you know, Robin Williams went on to have one of the most prolific rap careers of any white guy ever.
1: <laughs> yeah, he called himself Eminem, hooked up with Dr. Dre, and rose to the top like cream. <laughs>
0: He was a brilliant comedian, and that that was based on his you know who he was as a human, but also the training he got like he went he went to juilliard he 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 really studied his craft and he went to know, college of Marin well, for a while, yeah. yeah, but the drama department at Juilliard is where he Juilliard is where he, went he to really, High.
1: yeah, I think just doing it consistently it didn't matter where it happened. he was consistently hitting the boards working on his craft and he was a brilliant mind. Like he was whatever it was about him. And Dave even alluded to this, that there was an element of protection involved because you should, that you'll really like those podcasts when you check them out. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. One of the things uh, Dave talks about is he's, He's sharing a story with Robin, how Robin helped one of Dave's close friends who happened to be in the um military. And he said when Robin heard this, he was like, oh, yeah, thanks for sharing. Like he could see Robin was uncomfortable getting this kind of feedback about how he personally helps someone and kind of went into that comedy thing that he was so great at, which was kind of a buffer of like, OK, yeah, yeah, you know, like. I don't want to be real in this moment hearing how I affect someone's life. I'm going to jump into comedy, which has nothing to do with misappropriation. <laughs> well, I mean, but
0: it does. So I'm currently looking at a list from Google of the top jazz pianists of all time and the top jazz penises of all time. pianists. Oh, pianists, okay. piano, piano players, the top those who tickled movie. the ivories with the most flatulence
1: with their appendage,
0: yeah, with their <laughs> appendage, and there's a large gap of white people on this list. Like it's, it's like more than ten. Ernie
1: Hancock's got to be on there.
0: Yeah, Melonious Month, Hurley, Herbie Hancock, Oscar Peterson, Bud Powell, McCoy Tyner, Art Tatum, McCoy Keith Jarrett, Fats Waller, you know, Jelly Roll no, Morton. UB
1: Morton, Blake? Morton, Blake? UB Blake? Uh, well, this is
0: only the top 50. Let me see if Hubie's on here. Oh, he's got to be on there.
1: He was uh one of them. uh he was one I of the OGs. Oh, 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 geez.
0: Oh, oh, oh. So I don't see Hubie Blake here, but it's only the top 42 that are Hubie showing on my e- list.
1: E-U-E, like elephant, E-U-B-I-E.
0: Yeah, not on here. Uh, wow. Red Garland, John Lewis, you know, uh, Wynton Kelly, Earl Hines, Cecil Taylor, Vince Guaraldi, Sonny Clark, Ramsey Lewis, Barry Harris, Tone, Tone Tommy Flanagan, right? Now, I'm going to read the white ones. Bob James. <laughs> Um, where's another one? Um, Dave Gruson, Chick Corea. He's not white. Yeah. Bill Evans, Dave Brubeck. All right. There are some significant names out there, but the, um, and here, here's another one. It's her name, Marion McPartland. She's white. She's, but she's not a man. Um, (laughs) at least judging from her name, we
1: don't know that. (laughs)
0: right? Maybe she identified as as jazz. I don't know. Um, the, point I'm, the point I'm making is that there is a significant um, historical legacy of originality that is related specifically to people of color and music. And a lot of the innovations happened outside the view of the marketplace. And it was the white artists that then brought it forward because the marketplace, and this is the distinction here, the marketplace was attuned. Capitalism is attuned to centering white people in it. And so the reason that Led Zeppelin had a massive hit with a blue song that they stole is because that the marketing apparatus was geared towards them, not the originator of that song. And so, you know, the thing that they did do that I think is helpful, a lot of rock acts You know, they talked about how muddy waters influenced them, particularly the stones. And then also um, the granddaddy of them all, the slide player from that um, is the mythical slide player. I should remember his name right now. Robert
1: Johnson.
0: Robert Johnson. Right. They they woke white people up to that legacy of amazing black performers. And so in that sense, you know, there's some serviceable aspects of of having them you know, do what they did with the music. Right. Um, but there's some, also some oddities as we, you know, we look across, we look at these sorts of expressions. A lot of black innovators had largely white audiences. Like one of the amazing things about Bob Marley, who can be is considered the grandfather of reggae music. Like there's a lot of guys that Bob learned from Joe Higgs, you know, early, early Jamaican artists who Bob learned from. But ultimately, Bob is credited with breaking reggae music on the global stage. He definitely did. Yeah. Black people didn't go to his shows. Like the amount of black people in those shows is really small. When you look at the photographs and you look at the video, Bob was playing to mostly white audiences.
1: You know what you just reminded me of is I was having a discussion with uh, my brothers in Hayward um, just months ago. And we were talking about the Rolling Stones and Stevie Wonder. And they said black people do not support their artists the way white people do throughout the lifetime of that artist's life and they were saying like rolling stones can sell out the o2 auditorium in england you know three nights in a row and i was saying yeah i bet you stevie wonder could too and they're like no he couldn't do a stadium tour people wouldn't show up
0: Well, do you think there's a kind of economic classism there that is a part of that r- reality, not just the the draw part, but I the actual economic capacity to buy concert tickets at that level and those numbers? Like
1: I, I brought that up, and they've, if, if I'm recalling correctly, that was a factor, but they didn't think that was the whole picture. They believed that just as people, black people. And Western society do not support their artists the way white people support their artists.
0: Well, how wide of them to make those judgments about black people? Like, how the hell would they know?
1: Because they're black.
0: Your brothers? You just said your brothers. They're <laughs>
1: my brothers. Yeah, they're like the sons of moms, and moms is a part of my life. They're family to me. They are oh, family.
0: I misunderstood. I thought they were your actual
1: brothers. Well, I'd say they are my actual brothers. Like we have been enough through life, and we're brothers. Like I, I will, I talk with their family.
0: So what I mean to say is, I did not recognize the initial the the ethnicity of them. You thought
1: you... from the same womb?
0: Yes. <laughs> so now that that's clear, what you're saying is some people of color that you know said,
1: "No brothers, <laughs> they're not just some random people." <laughs>
0: I'm not trying to say they're random. <laughs> I'm saying- I
1: wasn't just walking down the street, going, "Hey, how come the Rolling Stones are selling out O two and Stevie Wonder can't get a fucking concert going?"
0: Uh, all right. You know, I get it. I totally understand what you're what you're um, implying there, and what well, they're I'm- what they're saying, which is that. Um, but my my idea that the economics of it, I think, still are a factor, like um, per capita, the amount of black people in poverty, people of color in poverty in this culture is far and away above the amount of white people. And so white music, white music that white people listen to is more supportable because they have more disposable income, not because there's some kind of lack of devotion or lack of dedication on the part of the people of color audience to their to the people that they listen to
1: the nuances of this statement could open up a whole pandora's box of worms open I'll up have, baby i would be very interested to see a stevie wonder stadium tour where tickets were like 20 bucks and possibly you can't do that because maybe just economically it's not a reasonable thing to do. But one of the things you and I spoke about Thursday night was there was Dave Chappelle who could charge 600 bucks a ticket if he wanted to, that place would have sold out. No problem. And they were affordable tickets to you and I. They were well, A little, bit of, <laughs> a little bit of fringe there. No, what I'm saying is like you and I were both like, there was a minute where not a minute. There was a s- couple of seconds where we were looking at each other going, are we really going to do this? Cause it's a little out of budget. It's not the budget we had hoped for.
0: Well, I'm looking at the Stevie wonder history of, of concerts and there are a lot of theaters listed Especially in the '60s, and not a lot of um, stadiums.
1: But what right? they were saying is now, like the fact that Stevie's older. Like they think you know you, these young bucks who are doing hip hop and rap, and you know they're selling out coliseums and stuff. But they were saying, you know, someone who's in their '70s and '80s to pull in a stadium show and sell it out, it not a person of color
0: so right now for 2020 2019 red rocks amphitheater hyde park the three arena you know those were the actual listed stevie wonder events that when were they they were in 2019 2020 here let me see what his, his tour is for 2022
1: um, well, I was arguing that he, he would, I thought people would show up and they were saying,
0: okay, And the tour dates are loading on this page.
1: Okay. So part of the thing that often, you know, the argument, a person of color, and I'm not saying it's a wrong argument, but it does seem like a bit of a tip of the iceberg statement. Like, well, it's like a dismissal statement is when you bring up like a person who is a person of color or black and is overtly supporting trump and loud about it and out in public about it and they say yeah that's how wicked the racism is is you know people support the master the that's enslaving them and there's a, there's a dismissal to that statement that isn't allowing for the humanity of that individual, I think. Like, there's more going on with that individual. I, the fact that we're a racist country and the wealth of this country is built on the blood of black people is overtly obvious.
0: Right. and But what we're trying to talk about here is whether white musical art...
1: Yes, that's true. Has Thank been you for completely getting me back
0: Evolved from and, you know, you could argue that certain branches of country music or Appalachian music might have evolved from uh, ancestral Europeans, but well, to a large degree, popular music rests on the form of rock and roll, you know, Marshall Mathers that from things that originated from people of color.
1: Right, but here's the thing. If you and I are in a band, and I'm like, let's bring toko drums into the fucking mix. You mean taiko drums? Taiko drums, yeah. Like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. You don't say, no, While those are Japanese, and you can't do that. You know, like if we're down to brass tacks, humanity originated in Africa. So everything originated in Africa, even Whitey. So... You know, it's back to my thing of creativity is love and love gives. It doesn't hold it on.
0: Well, apparently the Rolling Stones didn't want to give, which is why they had to be taken to court.
1: Well, let's look at the facts of that one. So I know that with Led Zeppelin, but really rolling. Let's look up Rolling Stones sued for stealing music.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, White promoters would do big concerts by say, I Can Tina Turner, and I Can Tina would get paid, you know, maybe fifteen hundred, but the white promoter would walk away with twenty thousand. You know, it's like there was this expectation of capitalism being able to just treat people of color as subhuman and to take their artistic works as if they owned them, and you know. Just the idea that the blues rock genre of the 60s was no one asked, you know, the originators of that music if they could borrow those chord progressions. They just did it. And then they made millions of dollars off of it and didn't really compensate anybody for it. And that's, I think, the, the underlying point that people are making is that in the misappropriation of music that's evolved from – um cultures of color without any form of compensation, without even like acknowledging it as, as at a relative level, um, you know, and later on, you know, Keith Richards, to his credit, he went in and he produced a whole film about Chuck Berry and he made sure that people understood
1: how and he got punched he by Chuck Berry. What? He got punched by Chuck Berry.
0: Well, yeah, but <laughs> there what I'm saying is there were attempts by people to sort of honor the legacy from which they had borrowed, from which they had stolen. And I think that's um, a small form of reparations, ultimately. But uh, so much of the Delta blues informs so many white rock players. Like, and that they they just, no one comes up and says, you know, we want to thank all the Delta blues musicians from the past, like blind Blind Boy Slim and, you know, all of these amazing
1: Yeah, but can you picture you at King's Beach and you guys are up on stage? And you're like, yeah, we want to thank Bob Marley. Well, we did. We did. All right. How'd that go down?
0: Well, because I'm there, (laughs) that's one of the things that happened.
1: So how'd it go down? It was great. People
0: cheered when we played the song. No, but we, we spoke up we spoke up and we said you know we get to do this it's an amazing thing and we, we couldn't if if we got up here and didn't say thank you to people like bob marley then we'd be remiss in what we we're doing right and that's just a small piece right just acknowledging it but it's it's a it's simple and and it's not that hard
1: right and so do you think elvis was a bigot
0: I have no idea the, the things that I've seen would tend to indicate not specifically because we both watched that same film where a whole bunch of, of black R and B and blues artists talked about his generosity and, and the way that he treated people fairly. And that whole story about how they were in Vegas and, you know, the um, the promoters were trying to tell Elvis's backup singers that they couldn't come in through the main entrance and all that. And Elvis said, well, they're in my band, and so if they can't come in, no one's coming in, right? right. And then, of right. course, they were fact, able.
1: You're going to give them a convertible and have that little white girl drive them <laughs> around, yeah. and right. yeah. So
0: there's definitely in uh, some indications that Elvis, you know, worked mm-hmm. to resolve some of that stuff.
1: And did you watch the Ray Charles interview? No, I
0: haven't. I haven't had time to watch that, but. You know, an analysis might be that those are performative, that, that he did things like that to compensate for a much bigger sort of reality. Like, how much did he earn on those shows and how much did he pay royalties to the original songwriters? How much did they get from Elvis? And in that sense, it's not Elvis is a bigot, but that the the marketing and distribution and the way that. The white concert industry capitalizes on black creative works is out of balance with what sh- what should be being done, the way they should be paid, and there's huge, you know, families of people who are descendants of these amazing musicians who inspired these people who are are dying of poverty and illness, who have nothing.
1: The disparity of sales did not stop. Dr. Dre from producing Eminem albums. And I think on a basic level, there's two creative artists who loved working with each other and their juice together created great music. And that was ultimately what was important to them.
0: Yeah. And last week, you said on this podcast that Prince didn't make as much money as he did from the f- album he released himself as all of the records that he did with um, his record label that was white-owned at the time. Right. So there's a history of the economics of this being one of exploitation and the taking of the lion's share of the rewards.
1: Which I don't think has anything to do with color. It's fucking greedy capitalism where I can get 90 and give you 10 and too bad for you.
0: Well, the mentality that feeds that, specific to black people is real. It's not just black people. It's not everyone that does that. It's, you know, like look at the beach boys, beach boys.
1: I don't know. What's his name? Don, Don Kane isn't known for being a great manager to all the boxers he represented,
0: but you're switching subjects midstream. All
1: right. No, I'm talking about business capitalism and the manager, the like person who's in charge of the business just taking a lion's share and the person who's actually creating. But you've
0: removed I, the musical context by talking about Don King. Talk about music. Talk about the way. Uh,
1: no, but now we're talking about business and the creativity and talents of someone being um, sold.
0: And I mean, I don't person, want to argue that boxing isn't an art, but I think you're comparing apples to oranges in this case. I don't think I am. I know that that's why you're doing it. But think of it this way. The idea that you can take a one, four, five chord progression, which originated from deep in the South in amongst people of color, and then just use it to write, you know, your own version of a blues song and then make more money without acknowledgement or without compensation or any of it. That was a huge part of the 60s, you know, rock and roll legacy is the, and even 50s doo
1: But that's what I'm saying. Like, look at, um, I'm saying art is taking things and interacting with other creative people, and it becomes part of your ingredients and in your own creative process. If I do happen to actually do stand-up, which is still being debated, It would be foolish if I didn't incorporate Dave Chappelle and Richard Pryor and Red Fox and all these other, you know, Chris Rock. Like, just part of their essence and spirit should be part of my spice because I would be a damn fool. (laughs) If you went
0: up and did one of Richard Pryor's routines word for word what would happen that's outright like stealing well that's exactly what you're talking
1: about no I'm not because you are talking about no because here's the difference
0: that's what happened is that a whole bunch of white people took the exact same chords and the exact same rhythmic structure and they made it their own and they did they capitalized on it without compensating anyone or asking permission
1: well then that was stealing yeah all right, the All podcast. Right. Is over. All right, they? you're wrong. What What was their name? Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy? Jimmy Smith. <laughs> we mean,
0: I, what do you mean? What was their name? Someone like looking at us online. Is that why you're distracted? What What's going on? Here? Yeah,
1: I'm looking online to see like if anyone's following us. No, to see if um, I like, feel like someone might be following uh, us. Beach Boys Brian Wilson said he intended this very obvious lift of 1958's Sweet Little 16 as a tribute to Chuck Berry but Berry's legal team saw it another way and one of Rock's first major plagiarism cases the Beach Boys settled by giving away the rights and Berry's name began appearing on the single a few years later
0: why didn't it happen right from the get go right Because Brian Wilson's father wanted money.
1: So that goes into the, yeah, that realm, but that wasn't Brian himself. And again, like what keeps coming up, so I'm going to say it and you may like spit in my face because, you know, you're going to say, that's not music, Wilker. And I'm going to fucking, anyway. So Andy Warhol and the famous Campbell's soup can thing and him taking images that were commonplace and then putting some color to them and calling it art and getting millions of dollars like that's part of creativity and i'm just thinking of van gogh and gogan and how um they hung out with each other and learned from each other and then argued with each other <laughs> and but that was part of vincent's Trajectory of creativity, just like Frida Cajal. And what's her husband's name? I just spaced out his name. The
0: great muralist.
1: Yeah. You know, like their interaction with each other was part of their creative journey.
0: But they and- were embedded in the in the culture of Mexico. There was no appropriation there. They were part. They were Mexicans together.
1: No, but she learned specifically from him. So for her to sign her paintings, Frida and whatever the fuck his name is, Diego be, Rivera, thank you, would be ridiculous. But it, now it, if it, she painted his mural and signed it, Frida, that's stealing. If I do a joke about Greg Wilker being on fire running down the street and I'm holding up a burning match, that's stealing. But if I do a joke about Greg Wilker getting in an accident and, you know, I've heard that the world is telling this joke all over the place. And so I'm kind of really making fun of the fact that I'm a joke in the world. That's just creativity. I've, I've, I learned from Richard Pryor that I can do that. And so let's going, try a thought experiment. Yeah. Okay.
0: Let's switch roles in this discussion. Okay. I'm going to advocate now that um, uh, embellishment and um, I'm ready.
1: All right. Go for it. Go for it. You first. Go for it. All
0: right. So there's a thing in copyright law called derivative works, right? Where when you copyright something, you, you sign an affidavit claiming that it was not created derivatively from any other composition. Okay. Right. So what you do is you, when you have an original composition, you send it into the library of Congress. Right. And it's like, okay, this is mine. Right. And okay. it cost $39 to get The man
1: said ticket. it was. What? Because the man said it was. Like what he man? gave it to the man's library and the man put a stamp on it and said, Yep, this is yours. Exactly.
0: And okay. so I own it now. Right. Okay. Right. And then as long as it's not derivative, then I own it cleanly. Right. And I invented it. Right. Okay. Um, and then after that, anyone else should need to license my work from me. Right. right. If they right. want to use it. Right. And, but I've been listening to music all my life and who knows what kind of subliminal things.
1: Right. That's came the thing. George Harrison, my right. Sweet Lord thing. Yeah.
0: Bob Marley, you know, and the banana splits, right? right. The Bob Marley's lick. yo. it's directly from the banana splits. And I don't think Bob even
1: knew, that the banana right. splits and at this point,
0: I don't think they've ever like been asked to pay royalties either, right? <laughs> but um, it's hilarious because it, it's subliminal and unconscious. So there is this aspect of how music gets into our souls and it gets into our creative, our creative aspects, and it comes out, and we're not even consciously aware, and so misappropriation applies this idea of consciously right. taking something from someone.
1: Right. So I guess like the beach boy settled because Brian Wilson said, I absolutely lifted a piece of Chuck Berry in homage to him. Yeah.
0: And Chuck said, great. I'll take that homage in $5 bills.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And he did. And he got it. But he had to fight for it. Right. I, I offer it to him. Right. I thought we were supposed to be arguing different points. I know. Like- well, you started off on a fucking <laughs> whole copyright thing. <laughs> I was so ready to just hear your argument and then go, you're I'm right. i like Mark, the more
0: yields of ideas. I Once I get it in my teeth, I can't let go.
1: Well, that's kind of part of the problem, I think, which you and I have spoken of. You're the problem. You and I have talked a lot about that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, we get these things in our teeth. Like that's the whole thing about Elvis Presley being a bigot is I think it's like, you don't want to let go of that. Cause it's, it's feeding my fire. And you know, like, well, fuck your fire. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like let's, let's see if we can break that down. Like when was Elvis a bigot? Let's find some evidence.
1: And my understanding of Peter Tosh is he was not a person who took fool's to heart he didn't rub elbows he didn't suffer fools you're right 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 and he had he a was great from kingston where
0: they'll kill you for a piece of corn
1: and he had a great time recording with mick jagger and putting out music together well,
0: they were paying him big money at the time
1: well so they
0: signed him and said here's a pile of money no, but but so
1: have... you could see creativity creatively they liked playing together
0: that's true that's true that is and that's
1: where I think the whole thing of business and creativity why artists have a lot of trouble with it because there is a often from white capitalist cis straight culture with horns on their head, it's all money and no heart but well, I think it is worth
0: noting that Peter Tosh was about to buy the one and only radio station in Jamaica one week before he was murdered and that he was partially why he was murdered was that he was about to own the airwaves in Jamaica. And he had a very radical political viewpoint that was about to become very powerful in Jamaica.
1: Yeah. Wasn't he a stepping razor?
0: Yeah. Don't you watch my size? I'm dangerous.
1: Fuck yeah, I love that song.
0: Yeah. And I think it's worth noting that I've spent a whole bunch of my musical career playing Jamaican-style music. And, and it, for the first it. part of it, I wasn't crediting anyone with it, right?
1: Because you were too stoned on Jamaican weed.
0: No, on California weed, let's be clear. <laughs> but, um,
1: oh, are you One,
0: <laughs> one of the Are the great
1: Jamaican brown weed?
0: Uh, I had some Jamaican lamb spread. It was called that was literally some of the stoniest weed I've ever had right up there with, um, you know, Northern Um, California sensei Uh,
1: purple buds.
0: One thing I'll say about myself at 59 years old and been listening to reggae since I was 14, who began to play reggae songs as soon as I could figure out how to play them rhythmically that I never once grew my hair out and grew dreadlocks because I knew that that was culturally inappropriate.
1: It's mighty Why of you. I You're see. Right. That's the thing. I think if you want fucking dreads, go for it. Cornrows look badass. The fucking things that they do with the braids and the tight braids and the sculptures of the hair looks badass, man.
0: So reverse Ooh. that. What would be a a, a white? Thing cultural thing that would you would be offended at if someone wore it
1: circumcision, (laughs) (laughs)
0: like we're ever going to (laughs) know.
1: Yeah, I hope I never know. So what you're saying is you're offended
0: by my penis?
1: For all you circumcised people that aren't Jewish, you're misappropriating (laughs) genitalia savagery. (laughs) That's not funny. Yeah, it
0: is. (laughs) So what you're saying is if I started wearing a yarmulke, you wouldn't care.
1: I wouldn't fucking care. Yeah.
0: (sighs) Well... I think it should be noted that two white guys having this conversation is a bit uh, myopic. There's a piece of this puzzle that we can't quite comprehend. And we would need a third party here to really balance the conversation out. And I just want to call that out. Like our white privilege allows us to be unconscious of some of the nuances of this discussion.
1: That is real. And what was real in the Ray Charles interview was it was obvious he didn't think a whole lot about Elvis. Fine. That's a great thing. You know, like, that's your opinion. You don't have to like, shit. I don't give a fuck. But here's what he did say where I was like, yeah, that sucks. I, that, that sucks. And that was Elvis got a whole lot of alkalades and more and more popular by all these white women fawning all over him. And when Nat King Cole had the same thing happen to this, to him in the South, he got in trouble. Now, that fact points to why I understand why someone's so pissed off about, you know, these black artists who are getting pennies while Whitey's in his fucking country mansion castle bullshit. I get it. However, for me, the bottom line is creativity is love, and it gives, and it's just for everyone. You know, I hope.
0: And I'm- we're all better off if we can have a rich um, palette to draw from.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Right?
0: But you've exactly. got to give credit where credit is due, including economic all Right, credit. Who
1: invented pink? You mean the artist or the color? The color. I have no clue. Exactly. Who invented a beat? Who invented 4-4-Time?
0: Well, you know.
1: Exactly.
0: We could, start, we could start talking about that in a way.
1: Well, we then and then you get to the point that I said earlier. Yeah, it yeah. seems scientifically humanity originated in Africa. So yeah, everything came from Africa that's living, except no, roses. Jazz roses came from somewhere else.
0: <laughs> jazz came from the United States. But
1: yeah, the and it roots of jazz are by white African people. and European music.
0: Jazz was appropriated by white people. Benny Goodman.
1: I I can't. I'm going to just throw up into the back of my throat right now. Excuse (laughs) me.
0: (laughs) Because people didn't want to acknowledge or have black people in their clubs, except in places like New York, St. Louis, you know.
1: Yes, and that was racism. Yeah. Art at work. Yeah, absolutely. But meanwhile, they still wanted uh, the musicians to get themselves. The inspiration of
0: the art. They still wanted to hear the complex tonalities of amazing jazz composers, but they didn't want to acknowledge
1: black enough, uh, No, see, I don't.
0: Tommy Dorsey would have never, ever come up with the arrangements that he had if he hadn't listened to people like Duke Ellington.
1: Right. And, and, and the Rolling Stones wouldn't have come up with the arrangements they had if they weren't right. listening to black blues records. Right. Yeah. So we agree. You wouldn't be playing the music of, um, what's your band's name? Illusions.
0: Illumination.
1: Lumination. Lumination. <laughs> <laughs> alluding, <laughs> alluding to reggae. No. Uh, Lumination. You wouldn't be playing Lumination music if you hadn't listened to reggae since you were 14. If none of us
0: hadn't, you know, if we hadn't heard, you know, Joe Higgs and we hadn't heard Peter Tosh and we hadn't heard, you know, you know, Alpha Blondie and all of these amazing artists. Gregory Isaac. Gregory Isaac. I mean, the list is too long to mention. Um, And it should be said that a lot of the emotional weight that goes with the artistic output, the value of it in its emotional resonance is the soul life of a suffering people. And for someone who is of white privilege and white status to play the blues is a misunderstanding of the depth of where that pain comes from. And this, I mean, Steve, Steve, what's Steve's the, the white comedian, um, Steve, Wright, no, Oh, God, he had a really great TV show that was it was hilarious. Anyway, the lyrics of the song is he did a blues song. He's all I woke up this morning mm, 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 and threw my drink across the lawn. Boom, boom, Uh, Martin, somebody Uh, Oh,
1: Steve Martin.
0: No, it wasn't Steve Martin. It was a contemporary of his. But
1: oh, wait, are you talking about he had that TV show? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the where that little town. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, mole, mole, Martin, Martin mole, Martin, Martin mole. mole. And
0: Martin that mole. song is the perfect epitome of what we're talking about, because it's just, you right. know,
1: it's. And then there are people like your sister or, who shared a couple of weeks ago of her personal journey is dripping with pain.
0: And Marshall Mathers whose life,
1: exactly. Who's exactly. life on the,
0: was horrific, right? Exactly. And who had the added cojones, the added hutzpah, courage to go into the work of that in nine mile and go to battles and show up and lay it down and prove yeah. himself in the culture that he was
1: super transparent with his lyrics and what he shares with the world. And, um, that was leading me to something. God damn it. Marshall well, There's pain. I don't remember. I was yeah, about take to... Take
0: your vitamins, everyone.
1: See, I crossed over. I'm just waiting to die now. Rocking chair and a pipe, waiting to die. Get on some old Rolling
0: Stones records and sit in a rocking chair.
1: Talk about... Oh, this is what I was going to talk about. With... Um, Two weeks ago in Heal Thyself, and I forget the doctor's name, but he was... Dr. Haru Kuti. Thank you, Dr. Haru Kuti. And he's talking about, okay, like our bodies are ours. You know, you're in your body. It's obviously yours. I'm in my body. It's obviously mine. Well, what if someone's got a fucking... Metal choker on my neck, and it's chained to another one, another one, and I'm held in a cage, and I'm sold like property. And the the emotional life that I have is for not doesn't mean anything as my kids are ripped away from me, my loved ones ripped away from me, on and on and on, and that's for generations and generations. And how does a great 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 grandchild grow up when th- they don't have autonomy. That is pain. And that's what I think you're speaking of earlier, where you're saying like we as whiteys can't really talk about the kind of pain that is feeding the blues music. There is uh,
0: a generational trauma that we've experienced is infinitesimal by comparison, some exceptions in the Irish community, but mostly not.
1: Yeah, I mean, not, not generational the way the chattel slavery has persisted in Europe in Western culture. Absolutely. Now, the thing is, like you mentioned, Marshall Mathers to be, you know, beat up, to see his mom beat up, to see, um, you know, the drugs and drinking and just poverty. And that's what Elvis came from too. I don't know about the beating up thing, but Elvis grew up in absolute poverty. Poverty is a, Is is a disease. It's like it's horrid. It's horrid, and that, you know, to to see like Whitey did create the ghetto, and ghettos are horrendous. Like I acknowledge that, but I we do know pain. You know pain in your life. I know pain in my life. I know pain where it seemed hopeless, and. That moment in the that moment, <laughs> the reality is bleak. And to, to label and give hierarchy to someone's moment of hopelessness is a mistake.
0: Yeah. The reality is that one of the reasons music is a universal language is that we can all empathize with the pain and the joy that comes through it. And we want to avoid limiting that human expression with contexts lo- that are sort of like cancel culture are in the, in our country right now and, right. and in the world. And the idea is we should celebrate creativity and acknowledge its origins whenever we're sort of in the zone of using materials that have come through other lineages. Um, and one of the great things uh, about my musical history is listening to Paul Simon's Graceland album, which is kind of an interesting thing because it's African music labeled Graceland played by Ladysmith Black Mombazo. And everyone knew there was no question about that album that he had used all African musicians and that he had taken them on tour and, and and it was a massive hit for him. It was like one of the biggest albums of his career and he made no, you know, bones about who the geniuses were on that record. He just simply got up there and was the singer lyricist. And, you
1: know, here's the thing though. He didn't seek them out thinking I'm going to fucking make millions. This is going to be the biggest album I ever did it because he
0: loved the music and the style. And he wanted to write in that style.
1: They wanted to play with him and lady black lady Smith, black. Thank you. You know, their careers were definitely propelled by it. Now you get into the nuances of who made what money from that. That'd be an interesting thing to find out. I don't well, I know that. I guarantee you did. Paul
0: made most of the money. Well, I but now a whole bunch more people in the world know who Lady Smith Black Mombazo is and all of right. their records got right. purchased. So right. there's some mutuality there. Uh, you know, I think the probably the most powerful thing I have to offer this conversation is there's a YouTube video of, by Bobby McFerrin where he talks about the pentatonic scale and the universality of music. Mm-hmm. And so my encouragement to the audience is to go look up Bobby McFerrin talking about the pentatonic scale and see how he leads an audience through singing. Oh,
1: I have seen that, yeah. that's And it
0: tells yeah. you who we are at a root level is common and connected.
1: That's, I think, oh, spot on. Recording stopped.